What's up, purpose-driven entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Chris Denson. Uh, Chris's LinkedIn bio says, host, best-selling author, award-winning innovation advocate, and fun guy, spelled like fungi. His Twitter bio, innovation advocate, multimedia host, dad joke teller, big pun user, martial arts snob, and granny nominee. That's granny as in a grandma. Uh, Chris, I had to read it because I feel like that will give us some context on who you are. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much for being on. Hey, thank, thank you for having me, Tim. Absolutely. So your best-selling book is called Crushing the Box, 10 Essential Rules for Breaking Essential Rules. You've had a very storied career. I'd love to ask you just to give our listeners some context on you. Um, oh, and your podcast. I forgot to mention it. Um, it's called, uh, oh, crap. Here we go. Now here comes innovation the crush. <laughs> it was like, here comes the test of strength. Um, there, goes, there goes my doc failing me. Um, no, innovation crush. You've got a, a, a ton of listeners, uh, almost a million. Is that a million yet? Because the last time I heard you talk about you know, it, it was like 700,000. doing math, you know, it, it's right around the 750, 760 mark of subscribers. So yeah, it's, it's uh, doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, I have a ton of questions I want to ask you, but I guess to to kick things off, Chris, would you mind giving our listeners some context in your sort of entrepreneurial journey? What was the first entrepreneurial thing that you did professionally? Ooh, the first entrepreneurial thing I did. Prof oh, I remember. I had a, um, a DJ company, and I like I would MC, and my best friend, is a music producer to this day, is would uh, <clears throat> excuse me would DJ. And we would throw parties in LA and then probably the highlight of our like, oh, we are doing something right, was getting booked to host spring break in Jamaica for a month. Um, and that was like, it was one of the most grueling assignments I've ever had in my life. I totally did not know what to expect. You talk about like growth and like, oh, this is what we're doing, right? Like we're doing three or four parties a day um, and like for, you know, almost 30 days straight. So yeah. um, lesson learned. When was that? What year? Ooh, that was 2005, something like that. Like, yeah, this is, you know, I, I do remember, <laughs> I do remember R. Kelly's Ignition was the hot song, as was uh, In the Club with 50 Cent. At that, like during the during the spring break, you know, I don't know how sensitive R. Kelly is at this point in time for your <laughs> listeners, but uh, but you know, it's a memory. It's not mine. I didn't I didn't make it. Yeah. So from from DJing to what? When what did you go off to do next? I've always been, you know it's funny. I've just always been trying things. You know, like I started off even in college. I had my own sketch comedy series. You know, um, and then, but I was earning an engineering degree. So I had this like weird duality of like the safe thing. And then like, let's go off into something uh, a little bit unique. And I think more so it kind of became like an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, being able to, like most of the jobs I, 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 I took early in my career were like, they were first ever. So, yeah. you know, the job that I had at Chrysler was, you know, they hired eight of us out of my degree program for newly invented position. You know, later on, after my spring break uh, uh, 
experience. <laughs> um, we actually uh, worked for the American Film Institute and the New York Film Academy and the New York Film Academy had never had a marketing director. So I was the first one for, you know, a, a film school that has campuses all around the world. Um, so again, inheriting a blank canvas and then, you know, going into the American Film Institute where it's a digital content lab that we were like a clandestine operation above the library. And, but our, you know, although it wasn't a first, we were responsible for building a lot of first evers, you know, it was a, a think tank. So um, I've always had like an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and then, you know, I started an agency of my own for a while and ran that for about five or six years called Genius Effect. And, yeah. um, and that was fun. That was like, a you know, just a fun, the ups and downs and trials and tribulations of, you know, uh, entrepreneurship, but, but pretty yeah. good. What is something that since you first started to now, you've really evolved your thinking on when it comes to the question of how you grow a company? Um, marketing. <laughs> you know, I, like I have, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But for me, it's like any idea is only as good as it is marketed. You know, Interesting. You look at like how many products have come and gone. You're like, well, didn't somebody such and such build something like that a, a while ago? Um, and, you know, I think if you tell a good story and obviously you have to back it up with a good experience, right? Like if you watch the trailer of a movie and then you go see the movie and it's, and it's terrible, like, you know, the word of mouth won't happen. But, you know, the, the opposite is also true. You can have a great product and nobody knows about it, right? Or you haven't found a way to really deeply engage and invite people into your ecosystem or the world that you're creating. Um, and, you know, most entrepreneurs are, and founders are really good at the product, right? They're really good at like, oh, I know how to build 100%. this better, make this better, et cetera, et cetera. But then like putting a little pizzazz to, to the messaging and, and how people experience it and first encounter it um, requires a little bit of a, a different skill set, I guess. Yeah. I'm curious what your answer to, to this would be. So again, this is like my free advice here, but if, you're, if your budget is almost nothing for marketing, um, but you'd have a great product. If you were in my shoes, what would your focus be? Um, Assuming you wanted to stay bootstrapping. I, you know, I'm a big fan of collaborations, you know, finding partners who are kind of in the same boat or need what you offer and, and finding ways to, to like add mutual benefit to collaborations. Yeah. Um, yeah. A few years ago, I wrote an article called uh, Million Dollar Marketing on a Thousand Dollar Budget for Forbes. And it was the exact same thing. At the time, I was, I was running the innovation practice for Omnicom Media Group. And we had a, uh, a, a client who would always look to the bigger you know, competitors in the category and like, oh, we don't have the money that they have, so we can't do that. And like, stop thinking like that. Like, you know, I think start, I, I personally, I love starting with great ideas first and then figuring out how to get them done. Right. And, and from an innovation perspective, it's like, that's where the magic happens is, is when you don't have enough time, resource, budget, you know, you have all the constraints on you, but you need to, you need to perform. Um, and so that's where ingenuity comes in. It's where you find like a lot of unique ways of introducing a, a product or a service to a market. Yeah, I agree. Tell me about Innovation Crush, uh, how and why you started it, and how and why it's grown to have such a huge audience. Um, I, I was... Was it just like early adopter uh, plus really I entertaining? Wish I, I wish or? I was more of an early adopter. Like, I mean, I was like timing wise, and I do like a pretty decent at spotting things that I think are cool or like, like might be a, a growth vertical, you know, ahead of time. I don't always get the opportunity to jump in. 
Um, you know, I've kind of mentioned sketch comedy before. I have a background in stand up and writing. I'm sure that helps because you, oh, yeah. you can just it's, have a conversation and be entertaining. Well, and that's the thing. It's just like, you, you know, think about how many shows you watch where you may not necessarily care about the subject matter per se, but you just enjoy the entertainment value. Like I watch Chopped a lot. I'm not a foodie. Like I don't, I'm not trying to make the recipes and, you know, following up and going to the website and all that stuff. But I just like the pure, I like seeing these people sweat and figure out what they're going to do and then watching the people taste the food and go, this is terrible or this is great. Like there's, there's that piece of it. And so I wanted to create something that was, you know, I, I used to say it was a cross between Fast Company and The Daily Show, right? Where like, if, if you might, if you're a business-minded person, you might get some really good tips and strategies and, you know, survival tactics, I guess. Um, and if you're not, you're like, you just want to hear an interesting conversation with somebody who's interested. Um, and, you know, to kind of go take a conversation left field or bring a dad joke into it or, you know, just be utterly ridiculous sometimes, but then layer that in with just, you know, like good insight, you know, really good nuggets to take away. And it was kind of the impetus of the book, you know, um, which kind of the people would always ask me like, oh, what, you know, what are the common things you hear? Like what makes innovation happen? What are some of the things that the best tips and best practices? And I was like, look, here's, here's, the, here's the 10 themes that pop up the most. Right, and then that's where you get the 10 essential rules for breaking essential rules. Um, and so, you know, hopefully there'll, there'll be a, a part two, but yeah, that was, that was the goal. Yeah, um, I'm really curious for the concept of like, so you were, a, you did sketch comedy for a while and you applied what you learned there to making your podcast. What, like, what did you take from sketch comedy that is a part of your show? And, and how much do you think that's a part of the success of the show? Yeah, you know, it's in the early days, I would literally like write jokes when I wrote my questions, you know? Okay. Um, and so, you know, like a bad example. They're probably. Do you bad. write a unique set of questions for each episode? Oh, absolutely. I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm oddly competitive, <laughs> even though I don't like, I, and the other, the, the reason I say oddly is that I, like, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. People are like, oh, what, what's your favorite podcast? I'm like, I don't really. I listen to them all. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's it. Um, or I'll read an article about what someone said on a podcast. But I'm, you know, I'm not. I, I, I don't know where people get the time. Um, but <laughs> like, where do? How are you listening to all these? Podcasts? I don't know where people get the time to read. Uh, and, I listen to everything. All the content that I consume is listened. I, I think I have an attention problem. Like I like I, I put a book on Audible and I'm zoning out like immediately. Um, right. uh, but wait, well, wait, where, where were we? I now lost my train of thought. I was asking you about sketch comedy and how that oh, yeah. affects was, the way that you, you do know, the episodes. and. Yeah, it's just, I mean, look, I, I, I write out, you know, a list of questions, do a lot of like digging and try to find like nuggets. Um, you know, like Sugar Ray Leonard was a guest on, on my show. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, like that's a guy we've seen for decades and we've read the books and seen the, the documents. So I'm always looking for like, what's the, what's the unique thing that I can hone in on? Um, and how can I have a conversation with this person that's, you know, different than what they've had before, right? I'm trying to serve the guests as much as I'm serving the audience, and then it becomes a really great experience for me, selfishly. And so um, humor is just a natural part of who I am. And like, I think for, for a long time, I didn't feel, I'm not saying that's an accurate feeling, but I didn't feel as though comedy and sort of business ingenuity belonged in the same room. 
Um, and I, like, this was an opportunity to like, like I said, that fast company meets daily show kind of vibe. Um, and so I think just like the, the improvisational nature of sketch comedy, the idea of like, how do I want to structure this? How do I want to go into a bit and then get out of a bit? You know, um, but I think that's you know, over the course of a 45 minute conversation or whatever it might be, you, like you kind of know what your arc is going to be. Um, how do you hit some different beats and different notes? And then of course, like, there's just a pure like humor. You know, I think that like, I'm, I'm uh, one of the reasons I, I got out of standup was because I didn't like the repetition, like, you know, to get a, to get okay. a tight 10 probably takes you, you know, a, a good month or two's worth of trying testing blah blah and then you're going to be doing that bit for a, you know a, a, an equal amount of time um where i'm like my stand-up will come from like oh that was a funny comment let me write that down like it's just it was the spontaneity that i really enjoyed and so being in a conversation i mean going back to the sugar ray leonard as a, as a as again not the best example but um you know like one second we're arguing about whether bread or toast is still bread or not like it's actually toast now like but it's bread like we were just having that argument but then you know humor also becomes like a great um democratizer in a conversation you know yeah. it kind of gets people comfortable and you know a, a few minutes later he and i are talking about how he was molested between the ages of 11 and 13 and how that was the you know the number one thing that people wrote to him about in his book and it was the last thing that he decided to put in there because it was very personal you know so it's it's this roller coaster, and then you use that as an entrepreneurial lesson, right? Like when you we decide to be vulnerable with our ideas and the things that we care about or that are close to us, like that's where the gold is, right? That's where an audience has resonated with his product, and the sales went up exponentially because of it. So, you know, it's it's, and I have to as a host, I have to extract that information, right? Be a translator, and say, yeah. um, oh, here's what this means for you. And that's uh, again, kind of dovetailing into the book. Yeah, um, for sure. When you're researching for uh, an interview, how, like, do you have anything that is formulaic about how you'll research a guest? Um, Google. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, is there anything that you do aside from literally like Googling them? Yeah, yeah. Is there anything that you find yourself doing a lot like on a regular basis, guest after guest? Like, like um, for, me, for example, if, if, if I'm about to interview a guest, I will often check and see if they've done a TED talk or a TEDx talk or anything like that, um, just yeah. to hear for, for content. I mean, like, I, you know, I do a lot, it's a mixed bag, right? Like, it depends on the person and how much of a profile do they have and, you know, how well known are they already or not? You know, is this an opportunity for them to like come out the woodworks and be like, yeah, I'm here and this is the awesome stuff I've done. You know, uh, example of that was Chameleon Air, you know, the, the rapper riding dirty. He um, he was entrepreneur in residence at Upfront Ventures, which is like one of the largest venture funds in, Cal in Southern California. It is the largest venture fund in Southern California. And um, and he was like, he stopped making music. He didn't stop making music, but he was kind of like just on the low, like building his entrepreneurial chops he had invested in maker studios it was like i really i'm really enjoying this and he held off on interviews with like billboard and the radio stations and so on and so forth because he knew they were going to be asking about music but for him this was like i want to talk like a person who knows the shit when it comes to business um and so giving people that sort of opportunity but as far as like blanket research it, it, it varies right like uh, um, most times i'll try to find quotes from those individuals you know maybe from another article or something and i can see where there's a, there might be a nugget of information that we can really go forth on for the conversation that i want to have 
Yeah. Um, so I'm always looking for like an opportunity to differentiate, you know, yes. um, uh, in the conversation. Because again, it's like whether you heard from the person a thousand times or once, I mean, you know, I've had a lot of guests compliment me and go, I've never been able to talk about the, my work in this way because, and that's because of how I was able to steer the conversation. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's, it's been a, a fun journey. And yeah. Then, you know, I, oh, ahead. sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, I love that too. Like, um, so on this podcast, I'm asking people questions like, how do you want to be remembered when you die? And that's a conversation publicly that a lot of people do not have, but it has made for some really interesting conversations with, yeah. you know, I'm asking like, uh, very successful entrepreneurs, how they want to be remembered when they die. Uh, and mostly just because that conversation is interesting to me. I'm curious if you have a method and maybe you don't, and that's totally fine. Maybe so much of, so much of for you, it's just all off the cuff, but how do you get a guest to share information on a podcast that they've never shared anywhere else? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I've been told that I'm comfortable, <laughs> you know, like I'm, I have a little bit of warmth and, and charm about me conversationally. And I think I start to get into, like I use like very soft directional language. You know, rather than saying like, oh, what was it like, you know, when you had to exit your business? I go, what did it feel like when you had to exit your business? Right. Like yeah. it's, it's a small, slight tweak um, of yeah. the conversation. So like giving getting people into like how they feel about certain experiences and not like the mechanics of what it is. Oh, you know, first I had to lay off these people and then we had to write these checks and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, no. But how did you feel? Or you know, if they, they say some sort of, they may talk about a soft skill, um, you know, oh, like uh, there's a, a CEO I know who his company has won sort of uh, like best company culture for like the last 10 years by like Forbes or some like, you know, big uh, publication. And he's talking about people, 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 like his three P's and like how he operates and how he runs a company. And I go, yeah, but, uh, but where did that come from? Was that instilled in you at an early age? And like, oh, actually, my mother was terrible. You know, you find out like all the, and I didn't want to be like that. So uh, it's almost like these kind of organic, I'd like uh, play, you know, they're organic in the pre presentation of the conversation, but maybe not so much in my planning and thought process. Yeah. Right. So, um, and then uh, like I'm always just kind of keeping my ears open or my eyes open for opportunities or, I'll watch when somebody's eyes light up, you know, like, okay, we like, we've been talking for 15 minutes, but your eyes lit up when you said that thing, what was that about? Um, I just did a session yesterday and, and, and just full disclosure, like Innovation Crush has been on hiatus, but I've been doing like series with like Fast Company and Can Lions and a, you know, a bunch of other organizations. Um, but just yesterday we did a session and there were two, two guys on the, on the feed and one of them said something, the other one nodded his head really hard, right? Like, and I go, okay, wait a minute, you nodded. Like after the guy finished, the, I asked the other one and he had like a, you know, a, a very like emotional thing to express. And he, he, he got vulnerable for a second. Um, somebody who's super successful and two years ago was, you know, driving Lyft and like didn't know where his you know, next texts were gonna come from and so on and so forth. And, but he jumped in to say that, but had I not been paying attention, I could have just kept talking to the guy who's currently speaking. Um, so you have to look at like those, the, the body language and those sort of like silent cues that, that people have, even like discomfort or boredom, you know, who's yeah. like, I, I know when people are, are tired of talking, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, I see you're like glazing over. Let's, let's move on. Let's close that. Are your eyes glazing over, Chris? Are you getting tired of talking? That's why I wore, that's why I wore glasses. I didn't want you to, to see. 
This is actually just a drawing of my eyes. And Got then, it. Oh, perfect. Yeah, this is AR. This is augmented That's reality eyeballs. I'm technically wow. asleep. Dang, I need to get that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just curious, do people often ask you questions like the ones that I'm asking of, you know, how do you actually go about podcasting? Uh, yes and no. You know, it's, I, I, I think when you do well at something or people want to go like, oh, yeah. you know, it, podcasting in, in and of itself, because I mean, I started doing it in 2013, yeah. um, is like one of those things that's either people overcomplicate or they oversimplify. You know, like, oh, I'm going to get some equipment this weekend. I'm going to start a podcast. It's like, yeah, what is it? What format are you going to do? How often are you going to do it? You know, does it even fit into your lifestyle to do it every week? So a perfect example is that, you know, when I started Innovation Crush, I would just lock myself in a studio for six to seven hours and just book back-to-back guests because I knew I wasn't going to come back every Friday just based yeah. on the way my life and my schedule was, right? Like yeah. I'm a yeah. family person, I got kids and like, I don't know what next Friday is going to look like, but I can build a batch of episodes. And so, you know, you start to underestimate like the work it does to sustain, you know, two, 300 plus episodes, guest after guest, week after week. Do you want to do seasons? Do you want to take holidays off? So, um, and then, yeah, so I think that's where the, kind of the rubber hits the road in terms of whether somebody will actually do it or not. So there's like sidebar conversations, but less so in content creation. Um, Got it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, Chris, I've been teasing the question. Uh, the big question that I ask on this show is when you think about what it is that you're really living your life for, or what it is that you want to be remembered for, what jumps out to you as most important? You know, so, uh, you're in luck. I did so. I was in in Ghana. Shout out to the Nia Project. Um, I was in Ghana with this youth leadership program a, a few weeks ago, and we did this exercise called Tombstones, where we had to okay. <laughs> think about what do you want written on your tombstone. I had I had a few. Um, had you ever was, done an exercise like that before? No, no, not like not like that. And you're uh, how old? Uh, <laughs> I'm forty five. So. Forty five. Okay, so for the, for the first time, you're doing an exercise about thinking about seriously thinking about what you want on your tombstone yes the only other time i did an exercise about my tombstone was when i had a panic attack uh, i was like oh no i'm gonna die today um it's true true story but i didn't think about what i wanted on my tombstone i was like will i be able to make it to the kitchen without falling over um so my my first one was never trust a big button to smile as a tombstone uh, never trust no, a what <laughs> never trust a big button to smile it's Poison by Bell Bib DeVoe. Um, oh, I, I, I don't know what that is. I'm not okay, getting that you'll reference. Have, you'll have to look it up. That's okay. Flying right over me. Will be like, it'll spark a playlist for them. Um, no, I actually, the one I actually settled on was um, It Was All a Dream, which in some ways is a notorious B.I.G. quote, right? Um, but also, I felt like that's how we should all be wanting our lives to feel like. Like it should feel unreal, you know. Think about like an amazing dream you woke up from. You're like, oh my gosh, I was I was on a boat with you know, uh, Fat Joe and and Joe Biden. Like I, that was terrible. Yeah, yeah. But you like you had these crazy dreams, and you're like, but that's essentially that's what we should be striving for, you yeah. know, the most yeah. exponential, grand, you know, uh, expression of of who you could become. 
um, and the impact you can have on the world, right? Like it should feel dreamlike. And you know, in a more literal sense, right? Like we all have dreams and things we want to accomplish and like you should not die with those dreams still in you or at least uh, a really damn good attempt. Um, yeah. So I, I believe in that fully. Why is that so important to you that it's one of the things you want your legacy to be? Uh, I think, I mean, I have a lot of conversations with people who don't see ways around current circumstance or, you know, a path toward a goal. I mean, that could be uh, the CEO of a company. It can be like a single parent trying to figure out a better way to communicate to their kid. It can be, you know, an athlete trying to come up with a better training regimen. Like there's, all, we always seek these new plateaus and that's just, those are, my life has either been filled with, you know, casual conversations around those topics. And those are like the meaningful conversations I like to have, you know, there's a guy named Wayne Dyer, if you're familiar, you know, and he does a lot of like, or did, he did, did a lot of like inspirational talks, but he said, don't die with the music still in you. And so, you know, we all have like visions and, and things we want to accomplish in our life. Um, and so, you know, that for me, that's service, you know, if I can help somebody see differently and I've had evidence of that in my life where I've watched somebody build something, I was like, oh, where'd you get that idea from? He's like, you, I was like, really? I was like, you know, uh, and it was just a casual conversation. That's why I refer to a lot of, you know, even these kinds of conversations as mentor moments, right? Like yeah. if you go to a networking event or you're at a family hangout and you have a conversation that you feel like is a throwaway sort of thing and you walk away and that person goes off and does something because of, just a small nugget of you giving your time in that in that minute, um, or vice versa. I've had a conversation with strangers. I'm like, ooh, that's a, I'm 100% using that, right? Yeah. Like, there's there's the it, it all just requires a little bit of attention to self, I guess. You know, like what are you giving in a moment? Um, and it gets you know, I think it's it's fun to see like people apply like an idea or a thought of yours, you know, that you've been able to to help foster and, and create and help somebody move toward a, a, a new plateau in life. Agreed. What's been the craziest dreamlike moment that you've had where you were like, This is crazy? How is this even real? Um, oh man, there's a, a few. Um, and and when they happen, how often does it? Like, does it affect you in a way where it's like you kind of cherish that moment or are you like, all right, when's the next one? Both. You know, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a philosophical line of thinking that says, you know, expect miracles, you know, and most of us don't, right? Like we, we like you, they, they should be just a natural, like amazing things should happen all the time. They don't always, we don't know, we're not always open to them or receptive to them. We're not paying attention. There's so many things that get in the way of amazing things happening. Um, two really odd examples came to mind. Uh, one is I just, I got a puppy, uh, three months okay, ago. Okay. Okay. And so I've been working with like a coach and therapist and blah, blah, blah. And we were talking about like, just, you know, life visioning and, and, um, all that stuff. And I was like, oh wait, I did a vision board some years ago and I went and dug it up the, and this might've been three or four years ago. I did this. Uh, like almost the exact dog was on the vision board among some other things, but I was just like, wow. same color pattern, same size, same, like just even the dots, the go, the color, her coloring, she had like a white stripe down her face and like, you know, brown patches over her eyes, exact same dog. Um, you know, one that's a little bit more visceral. This is a long time ago. Uh, I, so when I worked in production, um, I used to work uh, with Hype Williams on music videos. Okay. And uh, we were doing this Mariah Carey video and I loved Mariah Carey. Like, you know, like just, that was, 
that was that was my girl for a minute. Okay, um, okay. And so I was like, oh, cool, I get to work on this music video. The person who hired extras didn't hire enough. And he's like, hey, we need some of the production people to fill in in the scene. So I was a bartender in this music video. And the whole scene is Mariah comes up to the bar and I hand her a drink and I'm like dancing, wiping down the table and stuff. We must have did that take probably 10 to 15 times. And it's probably a good like 10 minutes in between each one. So she and I are just like sitting at the bar talking like this, <laughs> this uh, you know, this whole time. And in fact, I had my like, ironically, I did, they, they didn't have costumes for me, but I had clothes in my trunk. I don't know what I was, what kind of life I was living okay, in. Okay. But I had this hat on and she was like, is that you, did you bring your own hat? And I was like, yeah. And then she's like, can I see it? And she, she wore my hat. So I was just like, a, that was like, that was a pretty good. That's awesome. You know, that's one uh, thing we have in common, Chris. We've both been in music videos with Mariah Carey. Oh, wait, wait, get out of here. <laughs> How did you know yeah, I used to. Um, I'm not really supposed to say this, but I'll, but it's my podcast. I used to play Peter <laughs> Pan at Walt Disney World, and nice. uh, yeah, yeah. And there was there she was there to to shoot. Um, I forget what Christmas song it was, but it was like one of her more recent Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. And um, I was scheduled that you know to be in in the in the music video. It's like crazy. in front of the castle in like the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. See, you seem like a pretty flag guy. Um, I get it. That hurt. No, it was good. It was, that's, that's I felt, I felt the pain, pain in that fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it, it hurt your audience. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Chris, um, I, we're out of time. I, I have a for fun question I want to ask you. Um, so I'm a kids book author. I believe that part of leaving a legacy is reaching kids. What's a kids book that you would make if you could? Ooh, a kids book I would make if I could. Um, can I divert the question and uh, divert it? Because yeah, because I'm obsessed with Shel Silverstein. Okay. Um, uh, if you've ever read Where the Sidewalk Ends, yeah, 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 I have yeah. an eight, eight year eight year old son, and I've been reading you know a lot of those books to him for I don't know past couple of years. A, a few months ago, I started singing singing one of the poems, and I was like, oh, okay. somebody should make a musical out of Shel Silverstein poems, and then um, and then I started looking up his life. And it was just one of the most fascinating existences. Like he fought in the Korean War. He used to hang out at the Playboy Mansion. He wrote like, you know, Grammy award-winning songs for country artists. Like it was- Wow, he, like his, wow. Like, he had a, I didn't know any like, of that about Shell. I know, he had a, like, he had a, a kid that died. Then, the, you know, then they, they dated another woman and the, that woman, died. like it was just it's a, a very full life. Um, so yeah, not that I would write a Shel Silverstein book, but that was that was immediately what I thought. You'd of make a musical out of Shel Silverstein. Uh, That's what I'm hearing. Like, yes. Yep. Chris, this has been a really fun interview. Uh, where are you most active on social media? Uh, Twitter and Instagram. So uh, Densonology, D-E-N-S-O-N, awesome. last name O-L-O-G-Y. Cool. And check out the Innovation Crush podcast. I mean my listeners probably already know about it, but Chris, you've been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. This has been awesome. Thank you. Appreciate the time, man.